another episode of Web3 Disruptors. I am thrilled to welcome Emily Rose Delara to today's episode. Emily is a coach who helps ambitious but overwhelmed leaders thrive without the burnout. She was a marketing leader and CMO in Web3 and crypto for the last seven years before turning her focus to supporting the people instead. She also has a podcast, Web3 and Thrive, and is a founder of Payant, which is a web 2.5 escrow and payment solutions for freelancers and creatives. So welcome to our show, Emily. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So nice. So nice to be surrounded by British people for a bit. <laughs> I know, right? The familiarity is, is yeah. good because you're sort of far-flung location as well, right? So I'm a Brit in Chicago and where, where are you based? I'm in Lyon in France. So there's like no one speaking English to me ever. And yesterday I was walking down the street. The best thing is when you've got dogs, everybody wants to talk to you. And I was like, wait, you're speaking English. Talk to me. Do you want to go to yoga to, with, together with me, with the dogs? <laughs> yeah, Be my friend. Good. It's a good, it's a good attraction. I feel like dogs mm -hmm. and kids. So yeah, I'm often putting my little toddler to work when we're at the playground. It's, <laughs> it's a good way to recruit mum friends. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining and to sort of dive into things. It would be wonderful if you could share with us a little bit about your background and your journey into this weird and wonderful world of Web3. Yes. So I entered Web3 as a participant in 2015. So it was before, actually, I think they coined it Web3, but no one was really using it yet. I came in when I was paying for my, what's it called? Co-working. My brain like fried then. When I was paying for my co-working in Bitcoin, just because it was a thing. I went to a workshop. I was in Bali, as you do, doing the whole digital nomad thing. And they did this workshop. They introduced the idea of Bitcoin, Bitcoin.com, Bitcoin. And they said, hey, if you pay for your co-worker, it's going to get a discount. I was like, okay, cool. I need to save cash. I'll get a discount if I pay with Bitcoin. And then that was it. And then I kind of started reading about it. I fell into this hole. We call it a rabbit hole. Probably you've come across that, a rabbit hole in Web3 and really fell in love with the idea of the sovereignty and the ability to have more of a choice by being a participant in this space. Overall, like over your financial choices, your data, your privacy, all that kind of stuff. And then in 2016, I was randomly contacted by a guy from Bitcoin.com. He'd been in touch with me about something else completely separate. And he said, hey, actually, I need a marketing manager. Do you want to come and work for us? I was like, yeah, sure. I like Bitcoin. I've heard about this. I know a bit about it. What do you need? And he's like, well, we need like a jack of all trades. Like, what have you been working on? And I was like, well, I'm tech, ex-tech. I can help you there. And he was like, perfect. And at the time, everybody who was joining the company was either a cypherpunk or they had no idea about crypto. So I was kind of like in the middle. And I went down the whole coin.com route, which was very much, if you read the whole story, it's very much evangelical of a certain crypto that was called Bitcoin Cash. It's still around. But it was the, how they perceived it to be was the idea of the true idea of what Bitcoin is meant to be. So we went around the world. We went all around Asia to all the conferences. We helped people to actually become merchants who accepted this crypto. So Tokyo in Rapongi, for example, I was based in Saigon in Asia, in Vietnam, sorry. And in Rapongi in Tokyo, everybody accepted crypto. It was like very normal. And this was like 2017. So Asia was 
huge on crypto. And that's kind of where it all started to move over to the West. So I was kind of there during this catalyst time where it was all kind of taken off. So that was really cool. And so I can imagine you've got a lot of a lot of stories from from your tales and first foray to, to kind of Web3. How do you think the industry has sort of evolved since those early days to what we now see? Everybody who was in the space then was in it for a reason. Like they were so, so passionate about bringing whatever element it was of the cypherpunk era into their current lives. So there was a lot of emphasis on taxation, privacy, security, of accessibility of funding and cash. So at the time, it was a very much focused on the people, the humanitarian use cases, being able to invest and have sovereignty over your own investments, all this kind of stuff. Back So back then it was more cause-driven, I would say. People were more interested in what it meant to be part of this space. And as it grew and more technology evolved, like NFTs, metaverse, all the more superficial activities on top of the blockchain, people came in because of this, because they were interested in the idea and the different categories of the industry. So it's kind of shifted. Like I like to always introduce people to my background and I always ask everybody to go and have a look at the history of Bitcoin. And there's an amazing book called Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. I always try, even though the NFT nerds and the DGENs and all those kind of people, read this first so you fully understand why we're even here and how you can help us grow. Yeah, that's a great resource then. I will I'll add it to my uh, to my list. It's um, amazing. So thinking about your own personal career then, how did that ultimately end up evolving from what you started to do right through to, to sort of to now where you find yourself in a coaching role? So in this, it was a weird and wonderful space back then. There was not many people who were marketers in this industry. There was not that many people who were able to absorb all the information or had the opportunity to absorb all this information and apply it and be in the industry. It was so much, there's too much of a steep hill to climb. So trying to recruit for this role was extremely difficult, which was great for me. So everybody was trying to recruit me all the time, constantly for like the whole seven years, which was amazing and great validation. And so I went into... For a year after Bitcoin.com, I was like, I want to be an advisor. I want to be a consultant. I want to just work for myself. And then I hit a wall, I hit like a plateau. And I was like, wait, I think I've got a knowledge gap. I think I want to understand how to be a better leader, how to manage big teams, how to do huge regional campaigns and global campaigns. So I went into the exchange space. And I actually really wanted to learn about the trading side of crypto versus like the use case and blockchain side. So I went into liquid.com, which... It was part of a bigger Asian exchange. Now, unfortunately, they were swallowed by the FTX fallout. But that was amazing. I was head of global marketing, helped to build out all of their user flows, helped them go from a 6% retention rate to over 65% in six months. So, Because it was so easy to me. Like I came into the exchange. I was like, you're losing so many customers. All you have to do is like redo this. And they're like, can you do it for us? And I was like, of course, let me try. And then... Other exchanges saw what I was doing. OKX, for example, came to me and said, hey, do you want to do like a six-month contract to build out the product marketing team, do what you've just done with Liquid and get our retention rates up? And I was like, yeah, sure. Did that again. It's kind of like cookie cutter. And then I did the same with two other exchanges. And then I was like, wait, 
what do I want to do now? This is great and brilliant money, fantastic, get to meet all these different people, but it's kind of moving away from why I'm in this industry. It's very much corporate. So I went into a CMO role to build out smaller businesses for a portfolio fund. And so I was able to kind of be airdropped into different portfolio companies that were maybe had a CEO and that's about it and an idea who'd just been funded by this fund. And I would drop in and say, okay, here's what you need. This is the strategy. This is who you need to hire. I'm here as an advisor. I've got three other companies I'm going to be doing this for. And it was kind of great to like, be a CMO, but also work on my own time as well and see these strategies actually work out because the strategies change constantly, especially when the NFTs come in or they're building a metaverse and they're like, how do we even launch a metaverse? And it's really interesting to learn and research new strategies because no one's ever done this before. You could just try it and see. And then it's interesting to see when it starts to work and you can apply it to another project because it just worked for them over there. So yeah, it's really fun to like market things that have never been marketed before. Yeah. And so then how did that lead into becoming a coach for those that are really experiencing burnout? So I experienced terrible burnout during this period, but I kind of just kept going because I was in Asia. And when you work in an Asian culture and you're surrounded by similar, because it was a very big expat culture in Vietnam, but you're surrounded by similar like-minded people as go, especially if you're in the crypto industry. And I was always fueled by this FOMO that if I stop, then I'm going to miss out on all this development and someone else is going to come in and take over. And so that was kind of fueling me. But in in the same time, I was building out a team that wasn't touched by that. So I was the umbrella and the team were thriving. And that's why we did so well, because I was able to bring in good people and nurture them. And so that was kind of ticking, okay, I'm really great at leading. Now I need to make sure that I'm working on myself. So I hired a coach and a mentor and started working with them as I was, as I realized I was going to completely burn out and have to stop. And then it got to a year and a half ago and I was completely, like I had my coach, I was like, okay, I'm doing the work, figuring out what the purpose was. And it wasn't marketing anymore. It was just, that was not what I wanted to do. I'd done it for 13 years and my purpose was not matching with it. And so luckily at that time I got laid off, which is a weird thing to say, but I don't know. I think I would have probably dragged it on longer if I hadn't took the leap then, if they hadn't helped me take the leap. And so I got laid off just before all the other layoffs started happening. But luckily I had a plan in place. And I knew what I wanted to do. I'd started the work about a year before. I knew that my passion and my mission was to help this industry on an individual level. So I'd put all I could into it in terms of marketing, helping everyone make money. But the leaders were all struggling because I'd really struggled and I had the initiative to hire a coach. Not many people come to that realization quickly. And it leads to burnout and then they leave the industry, especially women. In fact, a lot of women don't come over to this industry because of the burnout culture and because of the discrimination and the fact that a lot of the companies surround themselves with, like the leaders and founders of the companies, surround themselves with similar people to them. And so they just think, I'm never going to get to the role I want to get to. I may as well stay over here and do my thing. So I wanted to help these people. And at first I was, honestly, I was like, I'm just going to help women in non-binary. That's my jam. But over time, more and more men keep coming to me and saying, hey, I see what you're doing over here. Can we have a chat? And so that's really nice as well, because I fully believe that if we support the men, 
then they're going to uplift the women and then it's going to be like a full circle. Mm. But yeah. A lot of a lot of really interesting things that you sort of said there to kind of unpack. Even if we sort of t- start with, you talk a lot about people being able to kind of do the work and you said that you yourself have started to do the work. What does the work look like? So burnout is... I think it really can be quite a difficult place to come back from. It's almost you want to catch yourself before you get to that point. Mm-hmm. And as, as someone who really burnt out quite hard in my in my former life, particularly with the constant kind of pressures of leadership and just when it's over a sustained period of time, for me it was 15 years, it's just finally just, just kind of couldn't do it anymore. And so a lot of people end up having to kind of make big changes in order to be able to kind of reset. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, so it all comes down to awareness. If you're working right now and you think everything's fine and you're exhausted and tired and you think that's normal, there's a level of awareness that has to you have to reach before how to make a change or if you need to either even start looking to make a change. So I think in the industry especially, there's an awareness, but there's not that realisation that they can make a change, if that makes sense. And I think... I try and reach these people before they reach that absolute burnout because that takes a long, like you said, it takes a long time to recover. I want to be able to jump in, assess what's going on, help them to understand what's really going on because at the superficial level, that's not really what's going on. Tap into the changes that need to be made, help them understand the stories and help them to start putting processes and structure in place if that's what's necessary. It's not always necessary for everyone, but help them to understand that there's another way to work. And sometimes I get people who are in leadership roles in the industry and then they go through a program with me and like, I don't want to work in this industry. Like I actually don't, like this has been niggling away and it's, I can make my decision properly now. And so they go on and maybe they build their own business. So yeah, it's really catching them. But as somebody in that, it's difficult to know, is this just normal or is this is this burnout? I don't know. And I think the only way to do that is raise your own self-awareness, but also for other people like me, for example, to give people, I guess, reminders or information that helps them to question whether they're working sustainably or not, or to yeah. question, is this what they're meant to be doing or not? Yeah, it will be so much more inclined to go and go do an annual to check our physical health. But the idea of kind of checking in with ourselves in a very similar way in, in terms of kind of mental health and sort of am I aligned right now mm. in terms of how I'm spending every day and what my true values are, I think that takes a a lot more practice to yeah. uh, to develop the awareness and the cadence to do that because it's similar to what you just said about your role within marketing. You spent all this time doing it and you were very good at it, but it can kind of get away from you where you mm-hmm. suddenly, you don't even know when it was that you decided this isn't actually for me anymore. And just this idea that we're on this constant continuum where we evolve and what excited us five years ago probably shouldn't still excite us definitely and I like what you mentioned about values it's 
not many people know what their values are. They've never actually sat down to consider this. And if you're constantly evaluating, is what I'm doing aligned with my values and my beliefs and how I want to live my life, then you probably wouldn't stay doing the same thing for as long as you are right now. And there's one thing I like to do, actually, I just asked someone this question today as well. To understand when you're out of balance, there's two things that you can do. You can look at, am I cleansing and am I feeding myself every day? Not in terms of physically, but in terms of mentally. So cleansing is stuff like meditation, walks in nature, dance, embodiment practice, like yoga, for example, breath work. So that's one side, that's cleansing. And then the other side is feeding. So that's learning, reading, speaking to inspirational people, attending webinars, conferences, doing courses, right? That's feeding. So if you have a look at both sides, which one's out of balance and start working there. And a lot of the time it's the cleansing that's out of balance. I mean, I think that's such a wonderful way to to sort of frame it. And I'm curious why you say oftentimes it's the cleansing that's kind of out of balance. And if I think about it from the perspective of the, particularly the Web3 industry, because it's so fast moving, it's almost a reflex action to be constantly trying to learn and to be better. And so you can sort of see how that part of things is almost to such an extreme that the other pieces, it's almost very difficult to find the time or the fruit to meet priority list, I suppose. Yeah. But if we see it like your brain is like, okay, a trash bin, right? And so the more you feed it, it keeps filling up and filling up. And then you reach a stage and most people come to me and say, I just, I don't, I can't function this week. Like, I can't think, like, like I'm sat there, I'm procrastinating, like why I'm doing all this reading, like I'm trying to improve all the time. It's just not happening for me. I just feel like a mess right now. My brain's not working. And I'm like, okay, let's have a look at what's happening. And usually it's because they're filling their brain constantly and not taking this time to empty of the stuff they don't need and take time for space. So, and this is a learned practice for me. I did it over, I've been a meditator for 10 years. I've been a yogi for many years. And so for me, it's, always been there but it ramped up in the last three years I would say and that without this I don't have capacity at all yeah so I know and if I ever feel like anything's a bit too much or I'm feeling overwhelmed I'm like okay let's stop everything today or for the next week I'm going to block out my calendar and we're just going to walk every day we're going to do breath work we're going to maybe go and discover some new spiritual practices or whatever just to refill the cup and many people don't know, or, or don't think that they can do that. It's really, it's interesting. And I think as someone, whenever someone says they've meditated, have been doing meditation for 10 years, I always feel so incredibly envious because I am really one of those people that kind of struggles to meditate for anything beyond 10 minutes when my brain starts racing. But someone did give me some really great advice around meditation, which is little and often and so mm. I'm certain that there's that kind of correlation between I uh, just start with something that doesn't have yeah. to yeah and it's also finding your own practice so in like the spiritual world we call it embodiment practice which is yoga meditation dancing breath work whatever works for you so maybe meditation at this moment in your life isn't going to help you mm. or it might be too much of a you might see it as too much hard work and that that's fine. You don't need to force it. What else do you like to do? 
Do you like to dance in the morning? Do you like to do a yoga flow? Do you like to just sit there and like try different breath work tactics? That's just as good because you're, the idea is not to switch off your mind. The idea is to reach a level where your body is in a parasympathetic mode, which means it's not digesting. It's not having any other kind of actions. It's just still. Yeah. Emily, I want to relate this a little to to something that you mentioned in, in terms of the industry itself. So you talked a lot about sort of really women's relationship with the kind of Web3 industry and in, in some ways sort of talked about maybe the difficulties or certainly alluded to how challenging it can be as a woman to, to really sort of thrive in the space. What do you think that organizations can and should do to make this a sustainable career choice for women and an area where we feel that we can be in this industry and truly thrive in all areas as opposed to just getting getting ahead? That is a great question. I think and we both know Bridget. You've probably had a chat with Bridget. Bridget's been a massive influence on me, actually. Of the, I've known her for about four years now. So she's a mate. She's my like source of information when it comes to gender equity. And but what I've experienced is early in this industry, it was women were more likely to be tokenized. So we were asked to be put on decks to improve the viability of someone being invested in. We were asked like ridiculous, like I used to get asked ridiculous questions when I was meeting people to try and like trip me up. So it's always as if like women are a bit stupid and they're just here to be looked at. That was what it used to be like. I think we've come a really long way and companies like, for example, I really like MoonPay. I've known the MoonPay guys for a really long time. They used to be like all guys, like all men. I think there were about five of them when they first started out. And now they have like this disclaimer. I saw the other day, they have this disclaimer in the bottom of their post when they're advertising jobs about women, like, please apply if you're a woman. And they've like genderized the text and everything. So they're actively making a huge step towards welcoming women over. And I think the biggest challenge has been, and I did a study with Bridget actually about three years ago with senior software engineers, females, trying to understand why they didn't want to come and become CTOs in the space. Why are you just you're, you've got 20 years experience as a senior software engineer in tech. Why don't you want to come be a CTO and like lead these teams? And a lot of the time it was because one, I'm a woman, no one's going to listen to me. Two, I don't feel I'm good enough. And three, I don't think I'm going to get paid what I want. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm just fine here. I'm fine being in my senior position. So it was a, there was a lot of blockers, especially for the female engineers. Now I think it's getting a bit better. And I think companies could do with looking at who's doing it really well. Like MoonPay, for example, I'm trying to think who else is really good. I can't think off the top of my head, but there's some really big companies like Coinbase, for example, very inclusive companies. The ones who are becoming like corporate status, they are starting to implement the Web2 kind of corporate vibe, inclusivity. Let me see if I can answer your question better to that. <laughs> I'm like so hot in this box, it's melting my brain. I need to get a fan. Yeah. So in also in terms of my experience, when I first came into my like first leadership role with the big exchange, I remember being in team meetings at first and being talked over constantly, like by many loud male voices. And after a while, I spoke to my mentor, what can I do about this? And she was like, 
you don't have to be louder. You have to just be more, what's the word? You have to be more authoritative and more firm. And so for me, that's not really natural. I'm very much, it is now, didn't used to be very natural. And so I found myself being able to lead meetings instead. So taking the lead saying, hey, I feel like this meeting doesn't really have an agenda. Do you mind if I set the agenda? Do you mind if I lead the agenda to make sure everybody's got a chance of being heard? And so that I kind of like switched it around because there was never any agenda in any of these meetings. It wasn't structured. Like most of the teams in Web3, there's like, when you work in the companies, there's like nothing. You have to kind of put everything into place. And so that's how I kind of stepped forward and took the lead. I didn't have to speak louder. I didn't have to like be authoritative. I just took the lead in a different direction. So I think many women don't realize that they can jump in because a lot of these companies are really malleable, especially if they're in startup phase. You can literally build your department and bring your all your experience and make it what you want. I think not many women know that. Yeah. yeah. Listening to your story, even around, and it's amazing how common this is a, a go-to example is around well, I would just get talked over all the time. And so when you think about how that makes you feel as a, on a human level, as a leader, as a co-worker, I mean, it's sort of the ultimate sign of disrespect or people don't really value what it is that I'm, I have to say or my contribution. And so when I listen to that, I think it is such a clear opportunity for organisations to think about the day-to-day and how they run their businesses from meetings through to a whole host of other things and see if it's really truly in alignment with Mm -hmm. values because that's what it ultimately kind of comes down to and I would say that when you are not the only in a meeting so when you're not the only female in a meeting or you're not the only minority in a meeting it's a whole lot easier to sort of have a different tone and a different lens it's incredibly difficult when you are the only woman that's kind of sat in a meeting and so my feedback constantly to sort of organizations is it's really not about kind of peppering in one woman or two if you're lucky into Mm. your leadership team right like this actually has to be genuinely you've you value the sort of diversity of thought yeah it has to be at the core and I love that you brought in the values because I don't know if a lot of the companies know what their values are a lot of the companies I've worked in don't have business goals yet. So <laughs> it's kind of sitting down, taking that time and putting priority on it. And I think when they're first starting businesses, and I say they're like before the bear market, when people were starting to build out their teams, the focus is on how do we raise more money? And everything went into that. And I used to find that plans pivoted constantly because, oh, well, this invested just says if we do this and part of this person, then they're going to invest more money. So it's like never focused on actually what's going to build out a sustainable operational team, a sustainable culture in their business. And I think, yeah, getting down to the core of the business and taking the time and prioritization. And really like, I talk to Bridget about this a lot, the the younger founders. So the 24-year-olds who are developers and they are just, we've built this cool product. We've managed to raise like $20 million. Let's just continue to hire 24-year-olds. 
which is great because they're giving younger people opportunities, but they haven't had that work experience to develop the maturity of dealing with different personality types, conflict, crisis management, understanding how to communicate with teams to get the best out of them. And so there is this element in this industry where this element, I would say, that's the wrong word. There is this part of the industry that is still kind of nascent and the mm-hmm. people are still nascent and we need to figure out how to support them, the founders. Yeah. And it bring, it makes me think a lot around age diversity. So I was recently supporting a company on a, a C-level, a C-level search, a chief revenue officer that was going to go and kind of work for a very young CEO. And it was just nice thinking that they had really thought about what was going to be the right complementary sort of skill set and so oftentimes that is someone who maybe has a little bit more skin in the game and some level of of kind of a different level of maturity that they can perhaps bring to to the business that can't be learned that you there's no shortcut to that it it just comes with having some, some level of experience for sure exactly and that's actually something I come up against so I coach individuals in teams. So I go into the teams and their founders will say, okay, we're trying to progress this team member. Can you support them for the next six months? And so a lot of the time, this is that they don't have the awareness yet that they're not lacking. It's just experience and knowledge and that can be gained. A lot of the time this, yeah, they're sat there thinking I'm not good enough. And why is, why am I not there yet? And it's just patience Mm -hmm. and learning and it's okay to lean on other people when you need it. Hundred percent. Well, Emily, I would love to just kind of wrap up with your other area of expertise, right? So your first love and your first passion being marketing. You talked a little bit about this sort of one of the later roles that you did, where you might simply be dropped in with a CEO and is CEO and an idea. So for Many of our listeners who may be in kind of quite similar situations or trying to make that leap from web two to web three, what would you say are your kind of top tips for the sort of the direction that web three marketing is kind of going and what people should be really focused on in terms of making the transition? So I would say, actually, I haven't been a marketer for like nearly two years now. (laughs) So, but I do work with my partner in crime, Regan Alls. She is the marketing queen. I would say, go speak to her. She's got a course. She's a coach in marketing and Web3. But from in terms of a leadership perspective and a person perspective, understand, first of all, what your values and your boundaries, because being a marketer in Web3 is sometimes very chaotic. And if you don't have those boundaries, you're not able to set them with the person you're coming to work with. And then that starts with them impeaching, what's the word? Impeaching on your boundaries. And then you start to overwork and then you don't know what overwork is and you think it's normal. So it starts Mm -hmm. this like complete cycle. So that's number one. Number two is understand your strengths. What are you really good at? Because in the early days, if you were marketing, you would be doing everything. So you're a one-man show. And I discovered early on that product marketing was my game. Like nobody was really focused on it. Nobody was really building out product flows and stuff and understanding that this is 
your area and you now need to hire someone else to cover your back on another area. I think a lot of the time these CMOs get brought in because they're great marketers. They've maybe worked like they, we call them like the AAA marketers used to happen all the time in exchanges. They used to hire a very expensive CMO from Amazon, Google, Apple. They used to come in like last six months because they were like used to the slower pace, used to doing the strategy, but they were expected to do everything. So being very firm with what you're good at and then knowing who you need to hire is it's, it's similar. It's the same in Web 2, but mm. even more so it's needed in Web 3 because otherwise you will be pulled in every direction. Good advice. Well, we've loved having you on the show and we could talk, honestly talk all day about some of these, these topics that I feel that we have literally just scratched the surface with. So hopefully we'll get the opportunity to, to bring you back at some point. But before we wrap up, do you want to just kind of share with our listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can get more of Emily? Yes. So my channel is LinkedIn. So Emily Rose Delara on LinkedIn. And then you can visit my website, Web3 and Thrive, to learn more about my coaching and team coaching. I have really cool success strategy stuff going on and I'm running pilots for group coaching at the moment, which is very fun. If you want to get paid on time in crypto, you can visit payont.io. That's my other business. And yeah, everywhere else is Emily and Web3, every other social media. Love it. We will make sure that all of that is in the show notes. And thank you again for being here with us. And to our listeners, we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Thank you.